Hey guys, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, is, is spring, summer ever going to come back to us or are we just going to go right back into the fall? Man, I couldn't believe how cold it was this morning. Um, but I still dress for spring. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Uh, hey, if you, um, if you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to John 21. Today we're going to pick up in our, in our story, in our study through the Gospel of John around verse 6. And uh, let me also encourage you to do this. If you'll reach inside of your bulletin, you'll find message notes. Uh, pull those out. You'll see the scripture passage on the front, and there's a place on the back for you to take some notes. And uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, we're going to have the scripture passages on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible with you uh, and the message notes are not your thing, that's okay. You can still follow along with us. And uh, just a, a couple more things in the way of uh, housekeeping. If... Um, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd love to give you one. So on your way out today, if you'll just go by the information table out in the lobby, you'll see a couple stacks of Bibles, one at each table, uh, or one at each end of the table. Just pick one up, take it with you, they're free to you. And uh, then if you're a first-time guest with us, pick up a copy of our book, Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong, And you know, uh, with those books, just for everybody else, sometimes I forget how important those things really are, but um, I was in the hospital last week, uh, just uh, doing some, some visiting there, and, uh, and found a copy of that book on an end table in the lobby. And uh, it just reminded me that uh, somebody has picked that book up along the way. There were some things underlined and marked in it. And they had left it for the next person that was coming through. And so I just thought that was um, a pretty powerful thing. Either that or the book was just so bad they didn't want to take it home with them. I don't know. But uh, if you're a first-time guest, pick up a free copy and uh, you can read it for yourself and, and let us know. I heard a story years ago, and, and I've seen it circulated since I, I've heard it on the Internet. So you know it must be true, Right? Um, actually, it kind of makes me question whether it's, it's true or not. But man, it, it's funny, and it'll, it'll make the point either way. But the story goes that there was this guy named uh, Larry Walker, lived out in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, Larry went to an Army-Navy surplus store and bought 75 used Army-Navy weather balloons, took them to his house, he um, tied a lawn chair to the back of his pickup truck, attached the weather balloons, 75 of them, to the lawn chair, filled the balloons up with helium. What he was going to do is just um, hover up over his neighborhood, maybe see a different perspective on his neighborhood, maybe even other parts of, of L.A., and uh, he, he sort of got a little skittish about following through on it, so he drank two or three beers uh, as he was sitting in the lawn chair, and uh, he loaded up a BB gun. The plan was that once he had got up in the air and he was tired of, you know, floating around up there, he would just start shooting some of the weather balloons, and that would 
lower him back down. Well, he, after he had a couple beers and he thought he was ready to go, uh, he had a friend cut the main rope. Now, his friend said that instead of just drifting up, he shot up like he was shot out of a cannon. And uh, apparently, with the mixture of the alcohol from the beers that he had drank and the, the altitude, he passed out somewhere between the pickup truck and about 12,000 feet in the air. And they, they, they know he was up that high, and, and literally they gave, it was like 12,550 feet. I mean, they were pretty precise because apparently he had wandered into the air traffic um, at LAX. And it was uh, one of the airline pilots that reported his height and and all that, and uh, he just reported that there, there's a man in a lawn chair. He's he's either he's unconscious. I don't know if he's passed out or if he's dead. And I think he's holding a rifle. I don't know what this guy's plans are. I'm not exactly sure how he got down, but eventually he did. He was greeted by the Los Angeles Police Department in the hospital. They gave him a ticket for interrupting the airspace at LAX. They asked him a couple of questions, like, one, would you ever do this again? He said no, which lets you know he's not from North Carolina. If he was from North Carolina, he would have said, yeah, I just wouldn't use so many balloons. You know, or so. um, and then they asked him why he did it. So whether the tr- story is true or not, man, this is pretty pointed. He said, I got tired of just sitting around. I think that's the way a lot of people feel about life. I'm tired of just sitting around. Even if you're not just sitting around. I think you know what that means. I'm tired of nothing really much happening. Not anything special. Not anything real. I think that that is what Peter was getting at. In John 21, verse 3, Jesus had called his disciples, and more than half of them are fishermen. And so, at least half of them, he met them, knew them, uh, became acquainted with them, grew with them around the Sea of Galilee. Maybe at the place that they are meeting at in John 21, who who knows for sure. But he called them away from their nets, so to speak. He called them away from the life they had been living, and he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now that, that didn't mean that they would never do any fishing again. It didn't mean they would never go back to the Sea of Galilee. What, what Jesus was saying to them is, come follow me and I'll make your life matter. I'll give, you, I'll give you something to do so that in life you don't feel like you're just sitting around or, or you won't feel like you're just wasting your life or just wasting time. Well, the disciples spent three years with Jesus and he, he poured himself into them, um, 
taught them what, what it means to follow him. And uh, I'm sure that at times it, it felt like the information was coming so fast. And you, you can see that at different places in the Gospel of John where they seem to say, okay, Lord, but what do you, what do you just want us to do? You're telling us so much, but what, what do you really want us to do? We'll, we'll see some of those places over the next few weeks when we're unpacking the Gospel of John. But then Jesus is crucified. They're not sure what that means. Maybe all this is over. They find out he's been resurrected from the grave. He's appeared to them a couple of times. When John starts the last chapter in this gospel, he says this is the third time that Jesus is going to appear to his disciples. But in John 20, when Jesus appeared to them the second time, he said, I'm going to give you a mission now. I, I, I've already told you to drop your nets, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So, so here's the mission. He said, as the Father has sent me into the world, now I'm sending you. And so, in one sense, you're thinking if you're the disciples, all right, it's go time. Now all of this is going to make sense. We've been asking Jesus, you know, over the last three years, bottom line this thing for us, what do you really want us to do? And Jesus appeared and said, all right, boys, we're going to go do it now. And then he's just gone. So the disciples are maybe scratching their heads. Certainly Peter is. And so maybe out of just frustration and not knowing what to do, so he's just going to do something, he said, I'm going to go fishing. I don't think that Peter has lost his faith. This isn't apostasy in some way. He's not giving up on the Lord but he doesn't know what to do exactly, so he's just going to go do something. Anything. I'm going to go fishing. And some of the other disciples said, well, we'll go with you. They go out fishing. They fish all night. These are professionals. Don't catch a thing. The next morning, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. They saw him, didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them and he said, Hey guys, have you caught any fish? And really, it's not so much a question as it is a statement. It's like saying, Hey, you guys haven't caught any fish, have you? And they say back to him, No. And so Jesus simply says, Let's just pick up in verse 6. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large fish. Now, some, some people, when they read that, in fact, it, depending on what translation of the Bible you're using, the little heading across the top of those verses says something like, a miraculous catch of fish. Anybody see that in your own Bible? I don't think the story is meant to be told as a miracle. 
Jesus has already performed a very sim, uh, similar miracle. It, it could be a miracle, but I don't think that's the point of the story. It's not meant to be told as, as a miracle. If, if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, you'll know that even now there are guys who are out there fishing. But the way they fish is not with a rod and reel like maybe we would try and fish, but they would fish with nets. And so the guys that will go out and fish, even now with those kind of nets, they are usually in some sort of boat. Um, but a lot of times they're, they're wading in the water about chest deep. And so when you're throwing a net like that, you can't see where the fish are schooled up and where they're running because you're so close to the water. So usually they'll have a spotter that's on some kind of platform, and that spotter will say, um, I'm sure in, in Hebrew, so we might not understand them, but they'll say, throw out to the right or throw out to the left or they're running in front of you or they're running behind you. So Jesus is not creating a miracle so much as he is just spotting the fish and saying, guys, you're throwing in the wrong area. You need to throw to the right-hand side. And I think the evidence for that is they didn't question him. These are professional fishermen, and they never said, hey, uh, appreciate your help there, buddy, but we know what we're doing. We've, we've got this all figured out. We've, we've caught plenty of fish before. We're good. They, they threw the net on the right side of the boat because they knew that this guy could see from a different angle that they could not see. And again, they didn't know it was Jesus at the time. So they threw the net to the right side of the boat because they knew he could see the fish. We all need a spotter. We all need a guide. The, the reason that a lot of us feel like we're just sitting around in life, like we're not really making any ground, we're, we're not getting anywhere fast, like we're just putting one day after the next, we're linking up weeks, turning into months, that turn into years, that go into decades and nothing much happens is because we're trying to be our own God. Going out, doing our own thing, making our own way, making our own decisions. When in reality, we need Jesus to guide us. But to, me, to me, part of the unfortunate part of, of this part of the story in Peter's life is that Peter is just sort of doing what Peter has done all his life. And, and that is doing his own thing in his own time, in his own way. If he would have just waited a few hours for Jesus to get there, and Jesus has already told these guys, I'll meet you by the Sea of Galilee. If they would have just waited, it could have saved these guys a whole night of frustration. If they would have just waited for Jesus to tell them what to do, where to go, when to do it, how to do it, all of those things, if they would have just let him be their guide, it could have saved them a whole night of frustration, of throwing that net out into the darkness and coming up empty. Listen, so, some of us are here this morning and we're thinking, okay, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't really know what to do. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I'm not sure exactly what my next steps ought to be. 
And I'll bet you the reason for that is because most of us are still trying to order our own steps. We're trying to be our own guide in life rather than letting the Lord guide us where we should go. And I want to tell you something. If that's the way it is in your life, if you're calling the shots, who you're going to date, who you're going to marry, what you're going to do for a living, where you're going to go to school, how you're going to raise your kids, where you're going to live, how you're going to spend your money, and you don't allow Jesus to guide you, you'll always be throwing a net into the darkness and coming up empty. Let's read a little bit more. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And I don't know what it is about that moment. Maybe it's because they're by the Sea of Galilee and, uh, and something about the miraculous haul of fish. Again, it's not being told as a miracle, but it's a huge catch of fish. And it's the smells, it's the place. It's John remembering back to the miraculous catch of fish. He just sort of puts it together and he recognizes that it's, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Some translations say that Peter was naked, but he's not naked. He's just in his underwear. When you're fishing out in a boat like that, Sometimes your net gets caught on the, on the bottom or on the rocks. You have to jump in and, you know, move things around, move the net, unhook it. You have problems. So most of these guys are just in a loincloth. So they're not naked, but just in their drawers. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not too far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed... They saw a fire burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Peter had the same problem that I sometimes have. And if you don't in some way identify with this, it's just going to be embarrassing with me up here um, spilling my beans a little bit. Peter doesn't seem to like to try new things, to do new things. He likes doing things that he's familiar with that are comfortable. I think, I think most of what had driven Peter to go back to the nets, to, to maybe go back to his old way of life, his, his old way of making a living, was just to go back to doing things that he felt good at, things he was confident in, things that he was sure about, things that were predictable. See, he, he knew what it was like to be a fisherman, but he didn't know exactly what it was going to be like to be 
a follower of Jesus. Even though his life wasn't always fulfilling, it was predictable. And there's something about, I think, just human beings that we like things to be predictable, even if they're not healthy. I'll, I'll give you a, an example. I don't, know, I don't know how short I can keep this, but I'll, I'll try to be short. When, when I was in graduate school, I had to take a couple of pastoral care counseling type classes. Now, guys, listen, I want to let you know that I know enough about counseling to really screw your life up, okay? I know enough about counseling to be a good listener and, um, and to recommend a really good counselor. Like, I, I can tell you what the Bible says about things. I also have um, a great understanding about my own counseling Psychology, uh, psychological, um, I, I won't say it that way. I know some really good counselors if you need one. How about that? In this class, we were observing a counselor live helping a woman who has been abused by her husband. Physically, and every other way you can imagine. And we would see this in about 30-minute segments, uh, just as observers, flies on the wall. And we went from the first session thinking, how is this woman ever going to be whole again? How is she ever going to get beyond this? And by the way, she was still with him, and so she was trapped. And so in that first session, the, the counselor was helping her put together an escape plan to get out of the house when, when he is um, drunk, when he's uh, abusing her. Here are the warning signs. Here's a bag, extra set of clothes, extra set of car keys, a $100 bill in the bag emergency route to her sister's house, the whole thing. They went from that to about 15 sessions later thinking, oh my gosh, this might turn out okay because about session 10, the guy started coming in with with his wife and you could see him changing and she's changing and both of them. And for about five sessions, there seemed to be some real hope for these people. And then around the 16th or 17th session, she came in by herself, both eyes black and blue. He had beaten her to a pulp. And so when he began to unpack this with her, the the counselor, they had early on identified the triggers that set this guy off. And somewhere between sessions 15, 16, 17, she pulled all the triggers. She mashed all the buttons that made him go off. I'm not saying it's it's her fault. 
but she pulled the trigger. And I was dumbfounded. I was so upset. I, I just, because I, I had hope for these. And I was so upset. And I, I, once we were in a separate place, I asked our professor, Dr. Mullins, how, how does this happen? Why, why would she do the thing she knew would set him off? They, they seemed to be going in a good direction. And he explained it this way. Her being abused is her identity in the world. She doesn't like being hit on. But that's what she knows. And it's hard to get a woman or or a man in some situations out of an abusive situation because that's how they identify with themselves. She knows what it's like to live in a marriage where she is beaten and abused. She's adapted to that. But she doesn't know what a healthy life will be like. And it's more scary for her to face an uncertain future than it is to go home and live with a man who regularly beats her up. I don't know that Peter liked fishing, but he knew how to do it. I'm I'm sure there are lots of times when Peter, just like you in your life, whatever it is you do for a living, you think, man, there's got to be more to this. But I mean, how scary is it to try to figure out what the more is? I mean, usually we slip back into what's comfortable and predictable because it's, it's safer. It's too scary to go out and cut a new path, to do new things, to walk away from the things that you already know, to take on things you don't know. There are so many what-ifs out there that you don't know, but back in your, in your old life, at least that's predictable. At least you know what that's like. You know that you can live with that. You can, you can cope with that. And Peter's made some mistakes. And next, next week, we're going to unpack his mistakes and see how Jesus restores him. And it's, it's an incredible story. But he, he has blown it. And he knows it. And then he got another chance. And he's blown that one too. And I think in this moment, when they're in the boat, and he hears that it's Jesus, he thinks to himself, if I'm ever going to have that new life, it's going to be now or it's going to be never. And so he abandoned what was behind him. Jumped in the water and went to Jesus. John, you're, you're going to hear this a lot through the Gospel of John. John gives details, and he doesn't give the details just for the interest of it, but the details mean something. Like, 
if, if you're writing this story, if, if, if you're telling this, why does it matter that Peter's naked or he's there in his underwear fishing? Why, does it, why would John say that he took his coat and put it around him and then jumped in the water to go to Jesus? Because for him, the symbolism of it all is just rich. And this story is told after the fact. So John understands this later. Maybe not while it's happening, but he understands it later. When Peter grabbed his coat and put it on him and jumped in the water... He was saying, I'm not coming back to the boat. I don't have any reason to. I'm taking my jacket because I'm not going to be coming back to the boat. I'm going toward Jesus and I'm not coming back. The symbolism is huge. Peter is saying, I'm, I'm leaving my past for good. I'm leaving the boats. I'm leaving the nets behind. I'm, I'm leaving this former life behind me where it's comfortable and predictable and I know what that's like. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going toward Jesus. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know what it's going to cost. And Jesus is going to tell him next week, man, what it costs. I don't know what it's going to cost. I don't know what it takes. I don't know what the what ifs are, but I'm going, I'm going with Jesus no matter, no matter what that means. And he does. He never turns back. I mean, when you harmonize the Gospels, when you put them together with the book of Acts, Peter never again goes back to the nets. Never again goes back to his old life, an old way of living. He lives the future on the, on the what-ifs. You ever heard the old, um, the old saying, don't burn your bridges? You ever heard that? That's not always true. Some, some bridges ought to be burned. You know, the, the bridges in your life that take you to an unhealthy relationship, you got to burn those bridges. The bridges that take you back to an abusive situation. Like, ladies, I'll just go ahead and tell you, if you're living with somebody who's abusing you, you got to burn that bridge right now before you walk out of the store. It's not God's will for you to go home and let a man hit on you. And if, if that's what you're facing right now, don't, don't walk out of here that way today. You go see Jason. And we'll, we've got a police officer here. We, we've got, we, know the, we know the 911 number. And we'll help you get out of that today. Don't you go home to that. That's not God's will for your life.
Some, some of you need to burn the bridge to your past that just keeps leading to the predictable where you're just doing the same thing over and over and over in your life. You want something different, but you keep going back to the same place. And some of you need to burn the bridge that leads you back to that strip club or beer joint. Some of you need to burn a path back to old friendships. Like some of us in here right now could improve our lives here in the moment and our lives going forward if we would just pull out our cell phone and start deleting some of the contacts in there. Some bridges need to be burned. Just a couple more verses. Jesus said to the disciples, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Here's John giving some of the, the details again. And uh, we talked about this last week. You know, fishermen are liars, right? We, we are. I, I'm a fisherman. We, we often tell lies. The, the reason that John includes 153 fish is because he knows fishermen are liars too. It, at best, we're subjective. Because if you're a fisherman, I mean, you've, you've done this before. You've said something similar. Hey, um, did you catch any fish? Yeah, we, we caught fish. Now, again, you don't give that away at your favorite fishing spot. This is later where you're talking about it. Yeah, we caught a lot of fish. Well, how many is a lot? Or did, did you catch any nice ones? Yeah, I caught one really big one. Well, how, how big is that? Is it big? Is it big? Is, is a lot 10 fish? Is it 50 fish? If John would have just written this down and said, oh, we had a, a, a great catch, the net was full, full. What does full mean? So he gives the number, 153. Because if you were living in that day and time, if you were a fisherman, you would go, oh my gosh, yeah, 153? Not 150, because that's approximating it, right? But 153 fish. That is a huge catch of fish. And that the net's not torn, who cares? I'm going to close with this. The waters there, the Sea of Galilee, represents the world. These disciples throwing their nets represent you and me casting out the gospel, doing evangelism, trying to reach people. The big catch of fish, 153 and no torn nets, means that there's room for everyone. That doesn't mean that everyone will come to know Jesus. But it means there's room for everyone. 
the the net is cast for everyone. There, There used to be scholars who would say that what this story is all about in the 153 was that there are 153 different species of fish in the Sea of Galilee, but that's probably not it because there are a few more and that's probably not it. I think the point that John is trying to make is that there's room for all of us. Room for you, room for me. That's one of the big themes in his gospel. He said once to his disciples in John 14, In my Father's house there are many mansions. Well, I hope that my mansion is, has the ocean behind it, the big porch along the back so I can sit out on the porch and look at the ocean in the evening eating shrimp and banana pudding and a golf course in the front yard. But the truth is, I don't think it really means that everybody gets a mansion. I think to say that there's a mansion, it's John's way of saying that there's room enough for everybody. There's room for you. I think about room when I look at these empty seats. I know we've dismissed the kids and it just reminds me that there's room for more people here. There's room for lost people. And we've got to just stop sitting around and go get them. We'll finish this up next week. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. The richness of it. That it means so much and it matters. Thank you for giving us a purpose for our lives. Giving us direction and meaning. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray.